Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Brumley, CEO at For All Secure. David is also a professor at CMU. He's currently on leave. The topic that we're talking about today is called Mayhem Behavior Testing. Ties back to David's work at CMU. So, David, welcome to DevOps Chat. I'm happy to be here. Great. We're happy to have you on the podcast. Would you start by just introducing yourself a little more fully, your background, uh, maybe a little bit about some of the research and how that led you to form For All Secure? Yeah, absolutely. When I got out of undergrad, I was a computer security officer. My job was to chase intrusions on the Stanford network and try to help people fix them. And at that time, I got pretty frustrated with the idea that we were always behind attackers, that I couldn't find vulnerabilities first or get the fixes deployed. I actually went back to grad school, got a PhD, and really made that my work since 2003 Mm -hmm. on how do we go about finding vulnerabilities before attackers. And just as importantly, how do we get those fixes fielded? Because it's not just about finding the vulnerabilities, it's about how quickly we can get those in place. Been working on that. I'm a tenured professor at Carnegie Mellon, and for the last three years, been working on commercializing it. Excellent. Well, entrepreneur and a professor, it's great to see that your research has led you to uh, kind of bring this out to market. That's exciting. So tell us, what is mayhem? What is mayhem or behavioral testing? Yeah, what Mayhem does, we call behavioral testing. So behavioral testing is about watching an application as it executes and learning from that execution and then trying to come up with a new input that would cause the application to do something different. And you do this again and again and again, like hundreds of times per second with the idea that if you can learn the behaviors of a program and you can start driving it to new behaviors, you'll one, come up with a test suite for the program. That's important for the DevOps part and how you get things out quickly. And second, Mm -hmm. things like vulnerabilities and exploits that trigger vulnerabilities are just triggering a particular behavior. So you can automatically generate inputs that trigger these. At at one point, people were saying we were automatically generating exploits with this technology. Interesting. I'm I'm pretty sure that it's not the same thing, but it sounds like a more thoughtful and, and learned approach to, you know, what we know is chaos testing from, you know, like the chaos monkeys from, uh, Netflix, et cetera. But you're really picking specific behaviors, building a profile of the application, and then looking for new behaviors that you can test against it? That's what we're doing. And so there's really kind of two technologies people may have heard of. One is called fuzzing. So fuzzing mm-hmm. is about running the application again and again and again. And it uses heuristics to pick those inputs. And one of the things we built is a way to monitor that application as it runs and to inform the fuzzer Uh, on how to come up with new inputs that would get different behaviors. The second thing that we did is we really took a page from surprisingly formal verification. So the formal verification was trying to prove a program was safe. What we try to do is use those same techniques to prove where a program is unsafe. And Mm. our proof creates an input that triggers the unsafe property. So we use uh, these two techniques, fuzzing symbolic execution and a few others and a portfolio approach to try to come up with behaviors that are exploitable. Interesting. Do you do this in a production environment, in a test environment, in both? How, how, do, you, how, how do you approach this? For our product, we always do it in testing. Um, we think it's important to have these techniques out there in testing so that you can find them before attackers. We have done some simulations in production. One of the things we participated in was DARPA had a big autonomous cyber grand challenge. Uh, so we fielded it there, but we think mm-hmm. in the market would be in the testing environment. Mm-hmm. It definitely makes sense. It makes more sense there. 
say a little bit more about fuzzing and how that exactly works. Is it the software that's doing the variations or are you introducing um, variations to that from what you learn? We're introducing the variations. So the idea is an exploit for a program is just an input. Mm -hmm. And, you know, test cases are just input. So you run the program on an input and you watch how it executes. Like you see it executes this system call, that system call, it covers these branches. And you use that to learn a new behavior or guess a new input. And then the fuzzer will use a heuristic to pick that new input with the idea it should trigger new behavior. Let's step back just for a moment. You've talked a little bit about the mayhem and the technology behind it. Uh, you've stepped out of CMU to uh, set up this company for All Secure. How did you get that started? Are you working with a particular private sector, government sector? Sounds like something might be interesting to the government side of things too. Yeah, we got started by really participating in this, as I said, DARPA project. So they have grand challenges every so often. One was the self-driving car contest. This was like a self-driving car for computer security contest. Mm -hmm. We won that and that gave us our first $2 million. So that was like seed funding from the government. Excellent. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And so uh, we've been working to bring it into the government. So it's used in pretty much every service and in the IC right now to try to look for vulnerabilities in weapons platforms, as well as in software the government might be using to try to fix it before attackers can break into it. Mm-hmm. Um, about oh, six months ago, we then went and raised money from NEA to help transition this from just a government tool to something in the enterprise section as well. Mm-hmm. So you're also beginning to work with the private sector then? Yeah, we're working, starting to work with the private sector. It's really kind of an interesting difference between the two. Oh, there's a lot of difference. <laughs> yes. Highlight <laughs> what you see the difference as. I have some experience with both also. Well, I think that the private sector, it's harder for them to put a value on finding a vulnerability and fixing it quickly. While in the DOD, it's really easy. That mission didn't succeed, which is a mm-hmm. big deal. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one difference. I think the second difference, um, as we see going to market, is in the DOD, they care a lot about checking legacy systems because they still have to maintain them. If you think about mm-hmm. it, lots of vehicles, airplanes, trains, things like that. And in the mo- in an in enterprise, they care about things that were developed in the last two or three years only. And mm-hmm. so they're just kind of products in different parts of the life cycle. Yeah, interesting. Yep, you also have many layers of... Um different parties involved in the government sector, contractors, subcontractors, primes, et cetera. So you're dealing with lots of layers of companies that are working as part of the government team. Yeah, working like with the government is definitely, it's a chore until you get into the groove and you realize a lot of the, what you perceive are barriers are actually just regulations put up to protect taxpayers Hmm. from complete abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. So it takes a long time, takes about nine months to get anything really going from start to scratch in the government. Mm -hmm. But once you kind of get that cycle, it goes forward pretty quick. Yeah, that was my experience too. It's an investment, but once you get going, it's great. Yeah. Um, So talk a little bit about um, where you are in the product life cycle. Do you have product and market? Is Mayhem publicly available? Are you alpha, beta? Give us an idea of that. Yeah, so within the DoD space, we have Mayhem that you can buy starting in July this year. So pretty close. So we have a number of beta installs, people are happy, and we're gonna be switching over to general availability pretty quick. Mm -hmm. In the commercial market, we're taking a little bit slower because some of these differences I, I discussed, they use different application stacks, they're often concerned with much newer software than old software. They often use different languages. And so that we're really looking for 
uh, design partners, people who want to take mayhem, what's working in the DOD, what's working in um, places like aerospace and see if it works for them and figure out what we need to do to make it a really good fit. Mm -hmm. So you're spending a lot of time with customers, potential customers, really learning what the commercial sector is looking for or can benefit from. We're learning what they're looking for. We're also trying to understand, like you say, when you go to market, it's kind of interesting in the DOD who the buyer and who the user are mm -hmm. and trying to understand that in the commercial space. Like it's, it's kind of fascinating to me in DevSecOps. It's almost always the security team that's the buyer, but it's the development team that's the user. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's an interesting dynamic there. It's, you know, the DevSecOps conversation, which uh, one that we, we help facilitate bringing together through a lot of the activities that, at DevOps.com. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, so you said you're not commercially available yet in the, in the commercial or private sector, uh, but you are entertaining companies to work with. Is that true? That is. So we've worked with... Uh, a large aerospace vendor that makes airplanes. Uh, can't say much about that. We've uh, been able to really help them uh, find some flaws in some software that they use as well as build up test suites for them so that when a developer does push a fix that can be more rigorously tested. Uh, working with a Fortune 100 company and then some IT infrastructure people. Mm. I could see, for example, data centers, data center providers being uh, another place this could really benefit from. Oh, absolutely. Anyone who has something that's extremely high value, like a web server, that if it gets compromised, your entire business is at stake. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you fit this into the DevOps or the DevSecOps pattern or cycle. How, how does this happen? Where do you build it into? Yeah, so from what we can see in, in research right now and a lot of DevSecOps, it's really a kind of a primitive stage where people want to run a scan before they field software. Mm -hmm. To me, this is insane. I, I don't know any attacker who runs a commercial product in a scan and then says, you know, here's the new zero day or, Oh, better not go after that. You know, the scan was okay. Mm -hmm. Instead, what they do is they're always trying to break into that software. They're always trying to learn from what, the, what hasn't succeeded and come up with attacks that succeed. So Mayhem is like that. So the idea is it's more of asynchronous testing. You're going to push as part of your DevOps cycle through you know, things like making sure you're not using old versions of libraries. But then you're going to launch a process that for the lifetime of that product tries to hack it in the background. I think that's really kind of the conceptual shift that, that we think needs to be made is to stop thinking of security as a scan you do once and actually expect it to work to something that's always going on in the background. A shift just like we do with testing. We've moved into continuous integration, continuous testing, do the same for DevSecOps where this is running maybe on multiple versions of the product and test environment all the time. Absolutely, as well as all the dependencies. If you look at Google, so Google runs fuzzing, one of the technologies that I talked about earlier on Google mm -hmm. Chrome. And they found 12,000 new vulnerabilities in the last three years. And each one was accompanied by a test case, so zero false positives. And one of the things this has allowed them to do is get ahead of attackers because they're finding those flaws so quickly with their automated always-on infrastructure that... I've talked to people who try to participate in bug bounties and by the time they report it, it's already fixed. Mm -hmm. I mean, aren't the bad guys also doing fuzzing themselves? So you're at a disadvantage if you're not. Absolutely. Every top notch hacker I know uses fuzzing extensively as one of their techniques. I mean, this is assuming like you kind of do the base, like did the person forget to set a password? Mm -hmm. Always check for that first. Right. But after that, after that base level, 
you're going to do fuzzing, especially after high value targets. Talk a little bit about where you see things going next. You're kind of testing with the commercial market. You're heavily engaged with the, uh, the federal market. What happens next in terms of the product roadmap? Well, the next question that we have in terms of the product roadmap is how do we close that life cycle from finding a vulnerability to having a fixed fielded? So some AppSec companies, what they want to do is always add on that next language support so that they can support a larger and larger set of languages. Mm-hmm. For us, we're really looking at C, C++, Java, Python, the core languages used by infrastructure, Go and Rust. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to do deep analysis in these languages and then be able to help automatically suggest fixes. And actually for DARPA, we proved that the computers could automatically patch. So it could automatically patch binary programs and it could assess whether that patch would have any business impact and field it if not. And mm-hmm. so that's really what we're trying to do. And we're going language by language as opposed to trying to cover all the languages at once. Interesting is uh, what's your top pick in terms of languages you're looking at first? So the top one that we started with is C and C++. And that's been a bit surprising to people because it's an older language. I can tell you why we picked it. Okay. The reason that we picked it is regardless of what language you choose, you're going to be calling out to C and C++ code. In Java, you have GNI calls. In Python, you have, you know, as part of TensorFlow, if you're doing machine language, everyone goes to C, C++ or a compiled language when they want performance. And so if you want to analyze these applications completely, even if it's Java or Python, you have to be able to analyze those components as well. So we're kind of working our way up. Yeah, so as I was gonna say, it sounds like you're working way up the stack into the scripting languages. Absolutely. The second reason is when you look at really critical infrastructure out there, it's still primarily developed in C and C++. So, you know, I like many people have probably put up a Flask or Python website it's really quick to do. It's online. You definitely don't want it hacked. But when you start talking about a car, or an airplane, or a power plant, these are also C, C++. And so mm-hmm. just from a safety point of view, you have to cover those. Interesting. Do you foresee looking kind of down the road, I'm not asking you to announce anything officially, but do you see that uh, you might be working with either the patch management companies, the vulnerability scanning companies as a complement to them? Would this be something that potentially displaces them? How, how do you see that future unfolding? Yeah, I think people who detect known vulnerabilities are complementary to us. So the way I think of it is there's really two types of security companies out there. There are those who find new vulnerabilities and there's those who check for old vulnerabilities. So you have for example, Tenabil, which is a network scanner that goes and mm-hmm. looks for known vulnerabilities. You have mm-hmm. software component analysis, which looks for known vulnerable versions of libraries and other things, right? So those, those are pattern matchers in some sense. We're not one of those companies. That's someone that you would partner with. What we're doing is we're finding new vulnerabilities. And so this is more like uh, a typical SAST or DAS type solution. The other set of people that we're looking to partner with are the patch management. So one of the cool things that we can do is when we find a vulnerability, we automatically are building a test suite as well, just as part of the process. So when there's a patch, we can replay it and we can tell you things like, hey, have any of the previously passing test cases stopped working? Has performance dropped? As well as, of course, where the bug's fixed. I definitely can see the, the partnership and alignment there. If you had to paint a future that what success looks like for both for you and for all secure, what would that be? I think we're really motivated by this vision that we want to automatically protect and check the world's software. And so we want to close that cycle and make it autonomous. And we're making actually pretty careful design decisions as we do that. 
So I think a lot of people talk about, you know, big startups, billion dollar businesses. That's not really our goal. Our goal is we want to make it so the time from when we detect a vulnerability to there's a patch that's tested and ready to field is seconds. Mm-hmm. That to us is success. The, uh, the, the billions will come later, right? It's if you're passionate about that core problem. I think so. Because this, this problem, we were talking about DevSecOps. Like DevSecOps, the problems facing DevSecOps face every system administrator. If we go back, mm-hmm. you know, in the world. In Silicon Valley, we think of uh, SREES and DevSecOps, but there's this huge nation full of just system administrators who want to know if I update it, is it going to break? Mm-hmm. Do I need to update it? And solving those problems for those people is what's important for us. Do you have any, uh, any demonstrations coming up, either online or you're going to be at some conferences? Is there a way for folks to see this yet? Yeah. So we're going to be at Black Hat, and we're happy to demo it there. We'll have a booth in a room. Um, we also have a number of online videos. If you want to see like the fully autonomous in its splendor system, there's definitely videos of the DARPA Cyber Grand Challenge as well. Going back to that, to the original challenge. That was the original vision. I mean, when I talk to people about this technology, what really lights up their eyes is not finding security bugs. It's that there's not enough people to do the work. And by being autonomous, is focusing on that value proposition, you're really focusing on the pain point, which is how do I do things that there's just not enough highly skilled people to do. Well, I applaud you for what you're doing. You know, there's yet another scanner, yet another antivirus something. Uh, It's great to see folks that are really doing some innovation, kind of think about the problem differently and really trying to solve it in a more systemic way. And that's what one of the things that I see that you're doing. It isn't just we're trying to test for these kind of behaviors, but it's also in this ecosystem of how patches happen and things can happen dynamically, automatically. Absolutely. I mean, we've had a number of customers who want us to support 10 different languages, but there's no product in the world that can add 10 languages to support and mm-hmm. also be really good at each one of them. Mm-hmm. For us, our main value proposition is for everything we do, can we have zero false positives? Can we make sure it's actionable before we report it at all? Awesome. Well, we're, uh, <laughs> the time always flies by on these podcasts. Um, is any, any last parting thoughts that you want to share with us before we wrap up? Well, thank you for having me. And as I said, we'd love to talk to you at Black Hat 2019. Great, great. Well, I'll be there as well. So we'll get to meet up there. Love to have you on a future podcast as things develop and hear more about how things are moving along for you and for All Secure. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Well, another DevOps Chat podcast has flown by as they always do. I'd like to thank David Brumley, CEO at For All Secure for joining us today. Thank you, David. Thank you. And I'd like to thank you, you our listeners, for joining us, of course. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com. You've listened to another DevOps chat. Thank you for joining us today.